0: Well, good morning, Brookside, and happy new year. Yeah, it's 2017. Aren't you guys excited? This is awesome, man. And uh, I just got to say, I mean, I know this isn't the early service, and I think that was a good move, but I just love like seeing this, it's packed in here. And so um I just got to say, way to way to make church a priority on a day like today. Way to, if you have, you know, if you're a New Year's resolution type person and and making church a priority is one of those, or coming back to church perhaps. Uh, Sunday number one, check. So you should feel really great that you're here right now. That's awesome. I mean, it's, a, you know, it's easily just a day that you could have slept in and, and been lazy. And, uh, and nobody faults people for doing that, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, my name is Brad Zook. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, it's just fun for me to be up here this morning. I do want to mention, John was sort of just uh, thinking back to 2016, Um, it was a huge year for us as a church. Think about it was the first full year that we were in this For the City initiative, and how exciting is that? And uh, the care center's going, ground's been broken, there's progress being made. Um, But we also did this 365 journey together as a church, this 365 challenge that we challenged all of you in 2016 to read through the Bible in a year. And we also preached through the Bible, right? The whole year was Every sermon was either from a passage the prior week or the week ahead. And so I just want to say to all of you who stuck it out and did it, and some of you for the very first time, um, way to go. I mean, way to, I don't know how many of you that is. But uh, seriously, I hope, I really do hope that the discipline of regular, of daily biblical engagement in your life uh, proved to be life-shaping and life-changing. And I also want to mention, we've we've said this the last couple weeks, um, have a new reading plan. Just enough of you really liked this. We have a new plan for, uh, for 2017, 365. Now, some of you go, Brad, this doesn't excite me at all because I'm sorry. I tried. I jumped ship in April. And, you know, so awesome. This doesn't excite me. I failed once and now I'm going to fail again. But, I, like, check this out because you're going to love this. This is a different plan. Um, it's not reading through the whole Bible in a year. Uh, this, this, uh, This plan this year will take you through the New Testament in a year, and then selected chapters in the Old Testament um, and Psalms. So every Saturday is a chapter from the Old Testament, every Sunday is a Psalm, one chapter a day, and then even there's this family passage. So of that one chapter, there's a few verses every day that have been chosen that could be a great family passage that you read if you have young kids or if you have old kids. But you read it at the breakfast table or read it at the at the dinner table, read it before bed with your kids. And so um, I think there's even maybe a limited amount, but stop at Connection Corner this morning on your way out, stop at these uh, tables by the exits, and at least pick up a plan. I think you'll love it. Um, I'm excited to jump into it, and it's just different. So if you didn't do it in 2016, maybe jump in this year. Well, is it true, isn't isn't it true that every year we get to January, and January is the month for this, self-improvement? January is the month for self-improvement. Every year, by default, we get to January, and we ask ourselves the question, how can I be a better version of me? How can I be a better version of me? Whether you write New Year's resolutions, whether you like New Year's resolutions, by default, we get, just go from yesterday to today, or maybe you've been thinking about this in the last week, but we go, how can I be a better version of me? This resolutions thing is just sort of built in to our culture. And again, some of you hate it. Some of you go, I've failed so many times at resolutions, I I never write resolutions anymore. But so here's what we find, that churches tend to have pretty high attendance, right, the first couple of weeks of the year, and then maybe it sort of tapers off. Gyms and health clubs are packed, right? And if you're a regular gym-goer, you hate that every year. You hate it. And you even, we've seen it maybe the last week or two, but in the month of January, everybody's there, every treadmill is taken, right? The place is packed and you, it, you just can't get into anything, and yet by February, you know it's going to sort of thin out again. Um, uh, vitamin shops, you know, the, com- the complete nutritions, the GNCs out there, that's sort- they do a booming business in January. In fact, the former co-owner of Complete Nutrition is a Brooksider. I asked him this week. I said, "What, what amount is that in January?" And he put it like this. He said if every other month of the other 11 months was sort of averaged out, be about 8% of their sales. He said in January, 12% of their sales. I mean, significantly they do a booming business in January. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you found this. A friend told me this last January. You go to work on Tuesday and your parking spot's taken. Why? Because everybody's like, "New year, I'm I'm coming to work on time, right? I'm going to show up for I'm always late for work." But I'm coming to work on time, and so you're going to get to your job on Tuesday, and you're like, where where all these cars come from? But they were were always late in December, and now you lost your parking spot. Or you want to run a half marathon in 2017, or a full marathon. You want to eat better. You want to eat organically. You want to lose weight. You want to get out of debt. You want to double your savings account. January is the season of possibilities, right? We begin to reevaluate our lives, many of us. We reflect, we refocus, we restart things. Maybe I didn't do 365 in 2016, I'm gonna restart that again. We just all think about that. We imagine the what ifs of a new year. Possibilities, it's the season of possibilities. And yet all we did was go from yesterday to today. So we dream, we plan, some of us are goal writers. Maybe your husband's a goal writer, maybe you have to for your business. Some of you love to write new goals. But we think about this stuff. Of course, it can also be a time, uh, the time of year when we become painfully aware of who we're not of where we're not in life, that we go, oh, by this point I I was hoping to be sort of further along in my career or whatever, or what we need to do differently. But so, for whatever reason, what we find is the new year is actually kind of a season of self-absorption. And that's not totally a bad thing. We're all guilty of this. And let's be honest, it's really good to want to work out more. It's good to want to lose weight. Some of you need to lose weight. Some of you need to eat better, perhaps. Some of you need to get out of debt. Some of us maybe need, we want to we give more. But still, we ask ourselves the question, what should I do about me? What should I do about me? And yet, we all know that New Year's resolutions just don't last very long. In fact, I looked up the statistic this week. One University of Scranton study said that 92% of resolutions fail. 92%, only 8% make it to fruition. And so when they do, when they fail, what are we left with? What's the solution to the resolution? So this morning, I want to pose a better question. I want to pose a bigger question, and to some degree, a more disturbing question. This morning, my goal is to throw a wrench into your New Year's resolutions. The question is not what needs to be done about me, but rather, and maybe write this down, although it's not rocket science, rather the question is this, what needs to be done around me? that when I looked at the people around me, maybe I should take my focus off of myself and look at the people around me. What needs to be done around me? We tend to forget that the people we we respect the most in life didn't devote their lives to becoming the best version of themselves. They didn't devote their lives to their best life now. Who is that person? Who do you respect the most in your life? Maybe your dad, maybe your mom. Think of your parents right now. Maybe your grandpa or a grandma, maybe just a really great friend. For some of these people, it was never even about them at all, right? But for whatever reason, they devoted their lives to making the world a better place, to making a difference in the world, right, Into someone's world, maybe in your world. And so when we think about this, as we start fresh into a brand new year, think about not just what do you want to do for you, but also what needs to be done around you in your city, in your community, in our nation? What's going on in the lives around you that simply breaks your heart? You know, there are 10 worthy causes out there right now in our nation that you could think about. What's the one cause that for you, it just wrecks you? And you could do, be a part of doing something about it. And now here's where the tension lies, of course, because we all wanna make a difference in the world. We all wanna make a difference in someone's world, but this is a challenging question, isn't it? Because We know that this is going to cost us something. If we begin to take our focus off of ourselves in 2017 and start to focus on others, it's going to cost us something, right? It always, it's going to require a sacrifice on our part. It's going to cost us some time. It's going to cost us some money. It's going to cost us some missed opportunity in some other area of life. We know that. And quite honestly, those are three things that many of us would say we can't afford to lose. But it'd be worth it. If we're honest, most of us want to be this. What is this picture of? Life preserver, right? Most of us want to be a life preserver. We want to preserve our lives, right? We don't want to risk our lives. We don't want to give our lives away. That's why we have insurance, isn't it? We have all kinds of insurance. We love insurance. That's why we have home security systems. That's why we wear seat belts, Right? That's why we love that our cars have airbags. We, We want to be life preservers. We don't want to risk our lives. That's too hard. It's too difficult. We want to preserve our lives. And yet, as we start to see glimpses into God's world, into life with God, or into what the Bible calls the kingdom of God, we begin to see that the kingdom of God is the complete opposite of the ways of the world. That in the kingdom of God, when we do life with Jesus, it's completely upside down. It's the complete reverse. That the kingdom of God brings about the reversal of the world's values, not just strength to live according to the world's values. Have you ever thought about that before? The kingdom of God brings about the reversal of the world's values, not simply strength to live according to the world's values. And so Jesus comes on the scene over 2,000 years ago, and he says that the only way to really make a difference in the world, the only way to live a life of purpose and to meaning to focus on others. Is to take the focus off of ourselves and to focus on those around us. So it's good and it's right and it, it's fine. It really is fine. I'm not against New Year's resolutions. It's fine at the beginning of the new year to ask what needs to be done about me. But this morning I want to ask a bigger question. What needs to be done around me? What needs to be done around you? Who around you or in this city is hurting and needs your help? And I bet If we truly seek out the answers to this question, we'll prove to have a really great year. And so this morning, I want to take a look at the gospel of Mark this morning. Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 35 to 45. And here we find this fascinating, fascinating teaching of Jesus that gives us insight into this whole topic we introduced this morning. And so here's what we find. I'm going to read this. You could follow along on the screens if you'd like. Mark writes this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, that is Jesus. Teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, time, I don't, I'm not gonna keep interrupting myself reading here, but isn't this a great question? Is not this the question that any one of us would love, we would just want to ask Jesus if we were a disciple of Jesus? They come to him, we want you to do for us, Jesus, anything we want. Verse 36: What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So what's going on here? Clearly, we have James and John, two of Jesus' disciples. They pull Jesus aside one day, and they ask him this pretty remarkable request, as I alluded to. Sort of the, the question of all questions. There are ten other disciples, and yet these two brothers want first place. They think, okay, Jesus, they go, Jesus, you're about to be president-elect. And we would like the top two seats in your cabinet. Jesus we want to shine. We want the fame, Jesus. I know there's 12 of us, but James, and jo- we're, we're clearly the best. We're the smartest. We're the brightest. We're the most athletic, whatever it was for them. Jesus, we want the most likes on Facebook. Jesus, we want the most followers on Twitter and Instagram. Jesus, we're, we're awesome, and we want first place. Essentially, they're asking Jesus, what's in it for me? They see this is about to happen. They think maybe Jesus soon is going to overthrow Caesar. He's going to whatever, take over Rome, they're going, how do we set ourselves up to be the best? Because we are the best, we want first place. And Jesus realizes, wow, I, I have apparently not taught you disciples a very, very crucial lesson when it comes to following me. He goes, I didn't come to seek political power, my power is the complete opposite of worldly power, to which some of us go, what kind of power even is that? Like, what, what other kind of power is there besides worldly power? The kind of power, as he says here, like the Gentiles who lorded over others and who, you know, used their authority to amp up, to power up over others. What other kind of power is there? That's the only kind of power there is. And yet Jesus says, no, no, I bring freedom from worldly power. It's the total reverse. Verses 43 and 44 again. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave. And not just a slave, slave of all. And he's saying it's not just the path to greatness. Becoming a servant is not just the path to greatness. It's not the means to an end. It is the end. Being a servant is what it means to be great in my world, in my kingdom. In other words, the essence of following Jesus is self-denial, not self-improvement. Have you ever thought about that? The essence of following Jesus is self-denial. Not self-improvement. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. So it's no longer about me. Rather, what needs to be done around me? How can I spend myself on behalf of others? So do you want to be first in this world? If you really, I mean, we're just gut-level honest with me or with your best friend. Do you want to be on top? Is your ambition in life to be famous? To be first, to be awesome, to be the top of your field or whatever it is, your sport. Jesus says, Jesus says, deny yourself, serve, put others first. See, it's upside down in the kingdom of God. It's the reversal of values. And you know what else? If you do make it to the top, if you do become king of the hill or queen of the hill in your own field or in your area of expertise someday what may happen is you will very, very likely feel empty. You you may become uber successful in the world's eyes, and yet you'll you'll get there and you'll go, this doesn't satisfy me at all. Why do you think it is that so many people make it to the top in our world? We think of celebrities, but even beyond that, let's not go that far removed, business people, just again, experts in, in a certain field, get to the top only for their lives to become train wrecks, right? We hear about this all the time. Some commit suicide. They battle addiction after addiction, drugs and alcohol, trying to find anything to find pleasure, fulfillment. Or they go through marriage after marriage after marriage. You hear about celebrities on their their fourth or fifth marriage. Maybe it's because worldly success does not equate to happiness. And we know this. And yet it's a struggle for us. Jesus says, not me, Jesus says, do you want to become great? Do you want to be first? Become a servant. Become a servant leader. Aspire to leadership, but be a servant leader. Now, what does that mean? How, here's the question, how does life with God turn us into servant leaders? Well, again, in Mark ten forty five, this famous, famous, well-known verse, many of you have heard this verse, memorized this verse. Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when Jesus ransoms us, he creates within us a new mission, a new purpose, that we have new objectives in life. He gives us the solution to the resolutions. And his solution is that of servanthood, right, as we've already seen. So I'm going to talk about those two things this morning. Just briefly, what does it mean that Jesus came to be a ransom for us? And then secondly, how does that make us servants? So first, ransom. What do you, What's the first thing that comes to mind when you see this word ransom? What do you think about? For many of us, my guess is the first answer would be money. And then perhaps a close second might be kidnappers, right? Scary situations. Maybe you think about the 2008 action thriller, Taken, starring Liam Neeson. I think a really great movie, but a really intense movie, right? Not for your five-year-old, not even for your 10-year-old. And now there's like a taken two and a taken three. But if that's what you think of when you hear this word, that's right. This word, it's tied in very closely in the Bible with the word redeem. In fact, in the Greek, ransom and redeem have the very same root word. Specifically, the Greek word lutron or lutro meant to loosen. And throughout history, in many contexts, it meant uh, to unchain somebody. You know, to loosen the ties that bind, to loosen the chains. But so the kidnapping connotation is absolutely right. This word means buying somebody out of captivity. Buying somebody out of captivity. Somebody gets kidnapped. Imagine your your son or daughter gets kidnapped. Again, I know, scary situation. And the kidnappers say the ransom for this person is $500,000. And they're saying, "You have to buy this person back. If you ever want to see your kid again, you have to buy this person back. You have to redeem them. And in this case, it will cost you an incredible amount. Can you imagine that? We sometimes hear of these news stories of American journalists overseas, you know, college-age people, and this stuff kind of this, this stuff happens. Ransom is a cost. Ransom is a price. Ransom is an amount that's given. As a substitute for a person. That's what ransom is. A substitution that affects freedom from captivity. Freedom from bondage. That's what this word ransom means. And so when Jesus says that he's come to give himself as a ransom for us, well, that tells us two things, right? And real quick, you could probably think of these two things. Number one, it means that we're in bondage. That we've been captured by something. Number two, it means that he has come to be our rescuer. He's come to buy us out of that captivity. See, if you and I don't first realize that we're in bondage to sin, then none of this really matters. Some of us in here maybe don't like the word sin. We don't like the biblical concept of sin. We just don't like that word. And yet we know we're selfish at times. I think it might be fair to say that at the root of sin is the selfishness of the human heart, right? Right? We're all like that. So we all have selfishness. We're greedy. We have problems with anger. We have problems with lust. We have problems with pride or self righteousness. That we start to go, What's wrong with the world? That the solution becomes when I go, What's wrong with the world? It's me. I'm what's wrong with the world. It's the selfishness in my own heart. If we don't see that we're in bondage to sin, then none of this will really matter. But you and I, we in bondage. We're enslaved to sin. Sin within us creates these captivities. So we're enslaved to at least three things, and there's plenty more. But number one, self, capital S. Self, capital S. What do I mean by that? We have deeply ingrained selfishness. We're always putting ourselves at the center, aren't we? We're fixated on ourselves. Some of us were even narcissistic at times. We can't stop focusing on ourselves. And it's not the way God created us to be. So if you always feel hurt by people, if you're always feeling snubbed by people, if you're always feeling left out, these are the marks of the bondage to self. And it may be that without even realizing it, the great business of your life has become self-protection. Self-protection. And it's a bondage. And you're always thinking about it. That's the first thing. Secondly, we're enslaved to idols. Maybe we talk a lot about idols. This can be anything, right? Any good thing that we make a great thing. Any good thing that we make ultimate. Tangible or intangible. Becomes everything to us, right? And so tangible things like your kids. Or your spouse. Or maybe a certain other relationship. Or even smaller things, tangible things like... Like your cell phone. Maybe you're like, nah, that's too like childish for me, but maybe you're a student in here and you're honestly you're sort of addicted to that cell phone. I remember literally five, six years ago, the first got my first cell phone or first smartphone, iPhone. Like, I love that thing. I I was like, this thing's amazing. You can do everything with this. I can't I couldn't put it down. It's totally an idol. Or that new Christmas gift you got. You got something awesome. Some of you did. It's a little gadget. You got an Apple Watch. You wake up every morning and you're like, Apple Watch, this is amazing. And you just love it. And if that was taken away from you, you would be crushed. You've put a little too much worth into that thing, or intangible things like your image. You're constantly concerned about your image or the control that you have over someone or something. Honestly, you're a control freak. Maybe you don't even see it, but the people around you do. You love control. Or your performance at work, or your performance at school, that you're driven by good grades, you're driven perhaps by your parents' expectations, it can be intangible things. Your real God is something or someone other than the real God. And it owns you. You come to church and you give lip service to the God of the Bible, of course, but we really, we worship other things. That's the second thing. Or thirdly, we're enslaved to the law. To the law. And I'm not talking about civil laws, of course. Government laws. You have a bad conscience. That your conscience condemns you. Because you're not living up to God's standards. But maybe you don't even care about that. You're not living up to your own standards. Many times we put our own standards way above God's standards. You could be here today and you're not a religious person at all. You're not, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. But you still have standards that you put on your own life that you're trying to live by. Even the, even the atheist out there has standards. Some level, some standard of living that they ascribe to. That they feel like they need to live up to. And then we don't. We fall short of that. It's, not, it's our own standard. And yet we feel guilty or ashamed because of something that we have done in our past that was really bad. A year ago, two years ago, five years ago, or something that was done to us. And we wake up every morning, and we can't not think about that. And it wrecks us. We're enslaved to the law, we're in bondage, and we need to be ransomed. Now, as soon as we realize that Jesus has come to redeem us, As soon as we realize that Jesus has paid the ransom for our lives with his own life, well, that changes everything. And it's a radical change. Why? Because of the price he paid. See, because what's the price? What's the payment for sin? What's the ransom for sin? It's death. The wages of sin is death. Death goes, there's no amount of money that you can pay to get rid of sin, you know, d- here's my best thug voice. This is not in my notes. Sin goes, hey, you want your kid back? The, the price is death or, uh, or I'm going to kill him. It's death or death with sin. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could pay a certain amount of money and be freed from the bondage of sin? But we can't. The payment is death, which is why a little self-improvement here, a little self-improvement there, resolution, resolution, resolution again, it's all good and fine, but it doesn't get to the the root issue, does it? It doesn't really fix our real sin problem. It's still there. And so we need to be made new. If we're honest, we need to be born all over again. We need a resurrection. We need somebody to replace our lives because we just have sin within us. And then we realize that Jesus comes as my substitute, and he lived the life that I should have lived. And he died the death that I deserve to die. He lived the perfect life. He lived my perfect life for me. And he died the death that I deserve to die. And he pays our death penalty for us in our place. That's the cup that Jesus is talking about in this passage. Verse 38. Can you drink the cup I drink? Jesus goes, I'm going I'm to die. I'm going to take the cup for you. And so what does that do? It turns us into servants. It changes everything. And so secondly, how? How how does Jesus' ransom give us a new purpose and a new mission in life? How does it turn us into servants? How does it get us to ask the question, not just what should I do about me, but what should I do for those around me? Because of the depth of what Jesus Christ did for us, we go back to these three things. Number one, we're freed from self. We have a whole new self worth. We have a whole new self identity because we now have more honor than any ego could ever want in a hundred lifetimes. We are so loved and so accepted out of that that we're just, we're freed from self, capital S. I can be, I can let go of my own worries. And so, why are we so fixated on ourselves? Worried or mad because somebody snubbed you, because someone's ignored you, or because someone's left you out? because someone cut you off in traffic. Jesus has ransomed you from yourself. He's given you more ego and more honor, or more honor than your ego could ever handle, more love and acceptance than you would ever need. That the Father and the Son looked at you when they said, this is the only way. I will be her substitute. I'm going to be his substitute. So that's the first thing. Secondly, because of the depth of what Jesus did for us, you're freed from idols if you understand what Jesus did for you. You realize that your idols are never ultimately going to satisfy you. They always let you down. Eventually, it always, the thing wears off, it gets old. But Jesus never will. He'll never never let you down and he'll never get old. Thirdly, you're freed from the law if you're melted by his ransom of you. Your conscience can be cleared. No more guilt No more shame. He washes that clean. And there's still a memory of it, but you got to push that away because God looks at you and he sees the perfection of Jesus. He doesn't see that thing you did five years ago. It's covered. It's taken care of. You're accepted. You're welcomed in. The Father and the Son accept you as perfect because of the blood of Jesus, because of the death of Jesus in your place. Now, if this is true, and it is, If it's true that you're completely ransomed out of bondage, freed from yourself, freed from all of your idols, freed from your conscience, what does that do? I've said this all morning. It makes us servants. It turns us into servants. It changes everything. It changes your attitude toward yourself. It changes your attitude toward others. That you don't have to be so fixated on yourselves anymore. You forget about yourself. You become truly humble. Not just false humility, always trying to put other people first, but it's really for your own sake. You just don't care about yourself that much. You don't think less of yourself. You think of yourself less. Because you want to put other people first. You're no longer governed by selfishness. You don't need to be. But the solution to the resolutions is to serve others. And again, not for your sake, for God's sake. Because let's be honest, you can start serving others, and some of us do this. It's still all for our sake. We still go, oh, God must, he must love me more. He must think I'm so awesome because I am always putting other people first. But it's, it's really all about you. We don't do it for our sake anymore. We don't have to. We do it for God's sake. James and John in this passage, they just didn't get it yet. And when they come to Jesus with an utterly selfish move, right? Utterly selfish move. And again, this is only 10 chapters under the book of Mark. And Jesus sort of sets them straight. I think eventually they, they got it. They did. But eventually, you know, word gets to the other ten, and they're ticked, right? I mean, they're not just mad. It says they're indignant. So apparently some of the others, maybe they sort of understood this. But Jesus says, you guys, James and John, you don't get it. You can be set free from your selfishness. It's not about you. Put it this way. Say you were, were in, a, in a horrific situation car accident. Again, I know, morbid illustrations for me this morning, New Year's Day, sorry. Happy New Year. But say you were in a horrific car accident, and a firefighter came and got you unstuck from the vehicle, but in the process, they got stuck. Whatever happened, for some reason, they got you out, but they got tangled up in it, and, and then there was an explosion. You got out just in the nick of time, as they say, but he was still in there, and they got very badly burned. This guy rescued you. You're free, but now he's paying the price for it. Let's say it's a made-up story. Let's say he lost an arm. Let's say he lost both arms, okay? Sorry, we're just going, going full force this morning. Let's just get more. Say he, got, he lost both arms, but he ransomed you. How, how do you repay that person? How do you repay that firefighter? You, you can't do much, right? The damage has been done. But what if that firefighter said to you from his hospital bed, what if he said, go and serve, go and do for others what I have done for you. Go and rescue others. Would you pay it forward? Look, I was just doing my job. I don't blame you. I got you unstuck. But would, you, would you do for them what I've done for you? You know what you would do? You would gladly say, I will do whatever I can to serve anybody and everybody I run into to the extent that I can do that. I will rescue others, I will serve others, I will. That's the least I can do. You know what? That's exactly what Jesus Christ tells us to do, too. He says, I've come to ransom you. And so you know what? Because of that, go out and serve. Go and and don't just serve, become a servant, become the kind of person that just naturally serves. Because you have a whole new self-identity now. You have the capacity to serve others. You have the, you're empowered to serve others. It's not even for you anymore. It's for God's sake. So don't power up over people. Don't lord it over people as the rulers of the Gentiles do. If you're in a position of leadership. Treat every person with kindness and respect and dignity. Be the first to cross a racial divide in 2017. Be the first to embrace the poverty of another. Again, Maybe 10 causes right now in this world you could think of. What's the one cause that breaks your heart? And it doesn't have to be one of the huge things that's all over the headlines. Maybe it's a little thing. But maybe it is Syrian refugees in the Mediterranean. And you have an opportunity to go and to meet them and to serve them. Orphans in Africa, that you have an opportunity to go. Orphans in America. In the foster care system. Small step, donate clothing to the care center that'll be open in the fall. What breaks your heart? Human trafficking? Man, I mean, for some of us, it's like anything with children. I just can't stand to see children hurt. Let the ransom Jesus paid for you melt your heart into a heart of service for others. And when you think about what it might cost you, and it will cost you something, Time, money, missed opportunity. Just remember that it cost him so much more. That God paid with the blood of his son. That it was not just half a million dollars. He paid with his life. And so Jesus says to you and to me from his hospital bed, as it were, what you owe me, do for them. Do it for them. I can't help but think of the second half of Matthew 25, when Jesus says there's two groups of people, and he says to the one group, I was hungry and you fed me and I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you came to visit me. And the people say, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink, cold and naked and give you clothing? And he says, whatever you did for the least of these, right, you did it for me. What you owe me do for them. And as a servant, like we've said it's a whole new attitude. It's the complete reverse of the ways of the world. It's totally opposite. So as I've said, you're not doing it for you anymore. You're doing it for him. And so as you go out and serve different places, you don't need to be known every time you do it. You don't need to be thanked. You're not doing it for recognition. You just don't care about that anymore because it's not about you, and we get that. And we have the new capacity, and we, every morning we go, Jesus loves and accepts me, and he gave his sons for me. And That's all I need. And so maybe even we get taken advantage of once or twice. Servants usually are. Slaves are. They take it on the chin once or twice. But we can do that. We can take that. Again, we have the capacity to take that. Other people don't. And so you do it for Jesus' sake, not for your own sake. What's a servant? A servant is someone who makes you feel so valuable because they're real. Because they're authentic with you, because they actually care, because they actually take the time to listen. A servant says, What can I do for this person? And they do it to whatever extent they can. So, this new year, as you get caught up in what needs to be done about me, consider for a second, just a second, what needs to be done around me? What needs to be done in this city? What needs to be done in our nation? Ask yourself the question, what breaks your heart? And maybe that's a too hard of a question to answer, but maybe there's little ways. Ask yourself, who's already doing something about this? You know, you don't have to go out and start a new nonprofit. There are plenty of people who are already engaged in each one of these causes. Who's already doing something about this? And then how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? How can I get involved? How can I change one little slice of the world with the attitude? Of a servant. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, I thank you for a new year. God, I thank you that uh, this time of year is all about bettering ourselves, eating better, losing weight, getting out of debt. God, those are good things. But Lord, we come to your word this morning and we start to see all across the New Testament, God, you want us to focus on others more than ourselves. God, I thank you that you give us the capacity to do that. God, the ransom you paid for us. God, we're in bondage. And you came and you rescued us, not with half a million dollars, but with the blood of your son. And so, God, we think of the cross this morning. We think of the price that Jesus paid, that he took my death penalty for me. And so, God, I'm loved and I'm accepted out of that self-absorption. So, God, this morning... God, melt our hearts by your ransom of us. And God, may we go and may we be cognizant of what's going on around us, of the people around us. And God, make us servants. Give us hearts of servants in 2017. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.